When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hey, guys. I'm Nick. I'm your host also. What's up? Three hosts for the price of one. <laughs> Good-ass deal. Patreon.com slash Thank the Maker pod. The three for one. It's bargain podcast shopping. <laughs> pandemic special. Remember how the pandemic started and we were like, I don't know, should we mention it again? Like on the second one? Like, I don't know, is it, does it date it? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> how long do pandemics last? Like two weeks? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, three, four, seven years. It's my first one. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be phased by folks that think differently than myself. I'm still taking it very seriously. Shit, yeah, same. I spend a lot of time with my mom and dad. I live very close to them now, and I just, I'm not, I'm not going to mess around with it. I also have two immediate family members that are my age, a little younger than me, that then they're mid and late thirties that contracted the virus and were so sick, dude. Remember early on, if you're young, you can't get it. Right. Everybody go back to the bar, because if you're young, you ain't going to get it. Well, they got it, and they were they were really sick, and they recovered, and that's awesome. But, I, dude, I don't want no part of that shit. No. To quote a great film, I don't want no part of that shit. I, and I certainly don't want to... I know, don't want my, your life. Is that the same movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I certainly... Don't want to put my parents in danger. It's hard, you know, but I mean, and I, it's not like I don't leave the house, but I'm just, I'm really not socializing at all. And it's been a long time. Yeah. I socialize with you guys though. And it's the highlight of my week. It's depressing out there. Like I, I get so antsy staying at home that I'm like, let me just go out for a minute. And then I go out and I'm like, oh, it's bad out here. Like masks, <laughs> like plexiglass between like you and a cashier. <laughs> there's no yeah. relief. I had to go to Costco today. There was plexiglass everywhere. Yeah. There's just no relief. You can't forget it. It's shoved in your face the second you go out. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go back home. I don't know why, but what you just said made me think about just you being a radio host like you are now. You were like, stay safe, guys. It's depressing <laughs> out there. Wash your hands, everybody. Stay safe <laughs> out there, folks. And don't just forget Just out to- there. Yeah, the, the words out there are very radio. <laughs> hey, out there in Radio Land, it's the bear on 102.3 <laughs> The Fart. Well, it's Sunday and we're recording this, and I, I went to... I'm not kidding, six different targets today because they... <laughs> Living on the edge. Yeah, really. They dropped like a, there's a new end cap, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge trading outpost. Nice. So I was trying to get a whole bunch of things. I only got two of the new four Black Series. So screw you if you got the ones I didn't get. You scalpers. I hate scalpers. I got a Target exclusive Bob Marley and the Whalers Legends on gold vinyl the other day. What? I was at Target for an unrelated reason, but I, I saw that. And I thought, what an unbelievable record that I don't I haven't listened to in a long time. I'm going to grab that. And it's gold. 
Solid gold record. Well, it's solid gold, baby. Uh, we are here to do Star Wars podcast, right? Sorry. Again, I'm <laughs> we are. a little shut in. I haven't seen anyone in a while, so I just get chatty with you guys. It's a good hang. You haven't seen anyone in a while because there are some people out there perpetuating this terrible pandemic. It's like some people think the pandemic is overrated, but we think it's underrated. So we want to talk about- You're segueing the shit out of this right now. So <laughs> now that I'm wearing my, my new crown as king of the segues, <laughs> I want to tell you that this episode, just like you probably read in the title, is about, in our opinions, the most underrated Star Wars characters. One for each of us. I definitely had a couple that I was like, ooh, yeah, that's good. Ooh, yeah, that's good. But I settled on one. I had trouble- Oh, really? I had trouble and then it came to me. I mean, I did a little research, but it came to me. It definitely crossed my mind to be like, Luke Skywalker, here's why he's underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, Darth Vader, whatever. Everyone's underrated. Star Wars is underrated. I think a, a case could be made for a few big characters to different generations for sure. Definitely. Well, I guess I'm going first, right? Do it. So it's arguable that the character I've chosen is insanely responsible for the entire saga starting in the original trip like Watto we talked everything about this that already, happened right? <laughs> other than I know the Watto theory yes but nothing would have moved forward past this moment had this character not existed I have some guesses so I don't know if you guys are familiar with a story called the red one do you know this story oh no I think I'm picking up what you're putting down in 2017 Del Rey books released an anthology called From a Certain Point of View. Hey! Hey, bro. That's our thing. And our old friend Ray Carson, who penned many Star Wars titles, but penned the Rise of Skywalker novelization, uh, she contributed a story to this anthology. It's 40 stories celebrating 40 years of Star Wars in this anthology, and Ray Carson wrote a story called The Red One, which leads me to, I think, maybe underrated, unnoticed in the running of all time. Yeah, no, how about of all time? Our boy, R5-D4. Whoa, the red one. So R5-D4 was the droid that Owen originally purchased on the moisture farm from the Jawas in A New Hope with 3PO. And think about the implications before you get, get into all the cool stuff about R5. Think about the implications of that purchase going through. Who knows, you know, R2 is a resilient little bastard, but if R5 had been the droid that they bought, there goes the message. There goes Luke reconnecting with Ben, meeting Han and Chewie, rescuing Princess Leia, joining the rebellion, destroying the Death Star. The whole thing. Finding out Darth Vader is his father. I mean, the dominoes fell. So if R5 had been the purchase, well... Thanks for coming to the theater and watching the first, <laughs> as we've said a million times, really weird 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. So R5 was an astromech droid built by industrial automation, and he was part of their low cost, their like Fender's Squire or Gibson's Epiphone <laughs> line of uh, called the R5 astromech droid line. Uh, originally... He served a master in Mos Espa on Tatooine 22 years before the Battle of Yavin, which means he was traveling the streets when Anakin returned to Tatooine for the first time, mm. which is also really rad. So, you know, he, so he's a little red and white dude whose head blows up <laughs> after he gets bought. <laughs> he's got a bad motivator. That's the line. Yes. <laughs> the bad motivator brings me to Ray Carson's story. 
so she went in and analyzed that scene and built this incredible retcon story about R5-D4's encounter with R2-D2 on the Sandcrawler. So four years prior to meeting R2 and the events of A New Hope, R5 was captured by the Jawas, but he hasn't been sold. He's kind of like we said, he's like kind of a low cost, you know, lower tier droid. I, I assume if it's low cost, he doesn't have as many skills as some of the more expensive droids. And anyways, he hasn't been purchased. And in the story, there's this really endearing vibe that he kind of, he really wants to be sold. He's got some mechanical issues and he's like just dying to get off this thing so that someone will fix him. Right. So he sees R2 and 3PO being brought on to the Sandcrawler. He he witnesses the Jawas putting the restraining bolt on R2. And at some point the night before the, the droid sale scene, R5 wakes up to R2 messing around in his dome. R2's got his tools up in R5's head messing with shit. And he freaks out and kind of wails and is like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to sabotage your competition? Because I have to get sold. Like, why are you doing this to me? Meaning you're trying to jump the line so you get sold tomorrow if I'm broken, right? And in that moment, R2 tells him the whole thing tells him that he's on a mission of galactic importance with the rebellion and the whole thing. And R5 replies like, I'm R5. I'm not on a mission. My memory's been erased. You know, he's like, yeah. okay, cool. Well, not really computing. But R2 is telling him the whole, the whole saga. And I don't think R2 ends up actually causing a malfunction or damaging R5 in any way because R5 wakes up before the damage is done. Nonetheless, he spills the beans about the whole mission and Princess Leia and Obi-Wan and everything. And the next day, they're all out in line. And as we know, Owen says, we'll take that one. And they buy R5 and C-3PO. Dude, this is so rad. In the movie, R5 like beeps something when he gets chosen or or maybe he stops uh, like a little bit out and turns around i can't remember exactly but he does make a noise and in come on right let's go yeah <laughs> and in the red one the story that's that's a message to r2 to say don't worry buddy some like a compassionate kind message of like don't worry buddy somebody's gonna buy you too you know they're like orphans at an orphanage uh-huh. like i got picked so that that's the the beeps that r5 made as he's as he's chosen but then he's looking back on r2 after he sends this reassuring message and realizes in that moment his place in the story. He realizes, if I go right now, everything that he told me last night is not going to happen. His mission will fail. So he, on his own, sabotages his motivator, loosens the hinge on his head plate. So the the Jawas have like put all this lubricant in this. It's part it's in, in the story of when he was captured four years ago. They've like altered him a little bit and he was super janky and messed up. So they just kind of keep pumping him full of lubricant. It's kind of like a like seems sort of like a weird kind of druggy thing. Like here, just give him more and he'll be fine. So they keep putting on this lubricant and, and he so he redirects the lubricant into a mass just behind his photoreceptors. And when he's ready, he discharges the power causing the head plate to pop off. So the lubricant like ignites right there and it, and it pops his head plate off. He's fine though. It blows out his photoreceptors, but he can still hear and they take him back. And then when the stormtroopers take the sand crawler, he lays low and hides out and he looks damaged. So he survives, makes it out of there. 
carries on to find his place in the rebellion. Cause that was all, by the way, I should backtrack and say in this story, it talks about how R five always dreamed of being a part of the rebellion as well. That, that's something he knew about oh, something whoa. he wanted to do. Little guy. Yes. So he goes on to like search for his, his place in the rebellion, which apparently he finds he's still on, on Tatooine, but he, he finds a way to be delivering messages or doing whatever he's doing. I couldn't find the source for what it is. He actually ends up doing in the rebellion, but um, we do see him in episode, Episode five of the Mandalorian, meaning he's, he's stuck around. He made it, he made it out of there. So I think the idea that this little droid who's in 30 seconds of the film and just blows up it, knowing that Canon now says he sacrificed himself for the entire story that we know to be true after that moment makes him the most underrated character in star Wars. And the last thing I will add to this is there's an old legends story from the 1999 comic book anthology, Star Wars Tales 1. In this comic, there's a story of Skippy the Jedi droid. And I won't go into the whole thing, but Skippy is R5. Obi-Wan is in a cantina somewhere on Tatooine, senses the force, can't find it though. There's no life form that he can he can find, but he knows he senses the force. Right. So there's there's a legend of Skippy the Jedi droid who in this comic book, there's all kinds of stuff like on, on the Jabba's barge, there's a droid serving drinks and he goes to spill one and R5 stops it with the force from spilling. So the droid doesn't get killed. What? But yeah, so this droid has the force in this comic book. Wow. And so that's not Canon. However, there's an in-universe canon article called Droids, Technology, and the Force, A Clash of Phenomena. The legend of Skippy the Droid is mentioned in this article. So it means while the Tales story is not wholly canon, it's like a legend or a myth that does exist in canon that there was a droid with the Force. And in, in the legend, also, he sensed all of these things happening, and that's hmm. why he blew a gasket, because he had the Force and he could sense he could sense that Luke was a Skywalker and, and all those things in that moment and he knew he had to let R2 move forward with the mission because he had the force. So that, that was the 99 version of the story. <laughs> but it's this cool legend now called Skippy the Jedi Droid. So check out the red one by Ray Carson in the anthology uh, from a certain point of view. And my vote for most underrated character goes to R5-D4. Thank you, Counselor. Really got to read that book. Certain point of view book. It's a lot of cool stuff. Sorry, one last thing. R2's line to R5 as he rolls by. Thank you, friend. You may have saved the galaxy today. I will never forget you. I like that. That's dope. This is great. I almost feel like stuff like that, they should do like a four or five minute, like uh, the cartoons, Galaxies of Adventures. Like yeah, just, like a short. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good story. I'm sure all the stories and from a certain point of view are, are good. Yeah. That's so rad. They need to reboot that droids, I guess it was a movie back in the day, and do that on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, that'd be cool. Also, it should be noted that R5 appears in chapter five of The Mandalorian at 8 minutes and 11 seconds, if you want to see it. He never made it off Tatooine, or maybe he did and came back? Yeah, again, I Who couldn't knows? find whatever his role he found in the Rebellion. I just, mm -hmm. there, there's stuff on Wikipedia and other places that say that he, in the story, it talks about how that was like a dream of his, and then it says he did go on to find some purpose in the Rebellion, but I, I couldn't quite figure out what that is or where that's written. Moving on, young Nikki, you want to go next? Young little Nikki, how do you guys feel about Mon Mothma. You know her? I think she's a queen. K-W-A-Y-N-E. <laughs> Yas queen. Well, Mon Mothma, always, whenever you see her, we mentioned on the last episode, Leia's kind of just the boss, you know? 
Mon Mothma is the actual, like, first leader of the rebellion. She dates before Leia or anything. She's 46 BBYs when she was born. She served in the Galactic and Imperial Senate, representing her homeworld of Chandrilla. You see her in Rogue One. You see her in A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. She's also in both animated series, The Clone Wars and Rebels. You get a little bit more in-depth story from uh, her in the animated series. But to me, she's super underrated because she's literally in charge of the rebellion. She she sends out a, a call basically denouncing Palpatine. She was a senator. She was a politician, daughter of two politicians from her homeworld of Chandrilla. And she was amongst the first people, along with Bail Organa, to denounce Palpatine and denounce the new Galactic Empire. So she was still involved in the Galactic an Imperial Senate, and she came to the forefront during basically the Clone Wars and uh, everything that was going on with the Separatists and all that. And following the demise of the Republic, she sent out a declaration of resistance against the Galactic Empire, and she sent a hollow to the galaxy declaring the formation of a rebel alliance. And what's cool is, in the animated series Rebels, she was actually on the ghost with Hera Syndulla and Ezra Bridger as she sent out that hollow. I mean, it's something that didn't need to be addressed where she was when she sent out this hollow, but it makes it extra, extra cool and extra heavy that she was on the ghost when she did that. So she's kind of just always been someone who wanted to take a more peaceful approach to defying the Empire and defying Palpatine. But I think you know that if you're trying to find a peaceful approach to some bad mofos, you're going to have to have a rebellion and a resistance uh, eventually. So I think when she finally figured out that it wasn't going to be a peaceful resolution, you know, she she allowed the recruitment of Jyn Erso. We saw her uh, help concoct that plan because she knew that that was the daughter of Galen who was uh, designing the Death Star at that point. I mean, she was responsible for a lot of the events in Rogue One. And again, she wanted to keep it peaceful. But I think that, you know, as a leader, you got to pivot. You got to shift a little bit and and realize that they're going to need to go into battle here and and kind of face the Empire. So after the Battle of Endor, she's still around. She's trying to then make peace in the galaxy. He has remnants of the Empire everywhere. And in her years following the Battle of Endor, she became the first chancellor of the New Republic. And... The headquarters of the New Republic were on Chandrilla, which was her homeworld. And her main focus was to have a peaceful galaxy and work towards disarming the Republic in a military sense. And her government was going to be disarmed. And that was like her opening salvo to like, we're going to have a peaceful government. Here's what I'm doing. I'm getting rid of our military or I'm, I'm scaling back our military. She also did in Revenge of the Sith when Emperor Palpatine gets emergency powers. The years following that, the New Republic, her being the chancellor of the New Republic, she gave back those emergency powers, which is something politicians don't normally do. They kind of, if a previous politician, president, whatever you want to call it, overturned something, whatever, a lot of people don't just go back and overturn what was overturned before. So it was kind of a, a something that she wanted to do to give back those emergency powers, which I think is is kind of a cool thing to do. I just think that she's, she's around for a lot of major points in the saga, and you see a little bit more in-depth stuff in the animation and in, in the novels. But what I think is cool is we have this Obi-Wan series, we have Cassian series, The Mandalorian. She could pop up in any of these. Mm-hmm. And I think that... And you she know, should. If I had to put my money on it, I think she's going to pop into one, if not all three of those series, because she's important. They recast her as a younger person in Rogue One. So whoever that actress is, she's still around, I'm sure. Specifically the Cassian series, I feel like she's going to wind up showing her face in that. So 
she's someone who like Leia looked up to, you know, like it, it, it's Leia got to be who she was because there was someone above Leia kind of holding everything together. Another strong female force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Which is also very, really cool that, that it was always a mother of the rebellion. You know? Yeah. And I think that it's just, it shows you that there was someone kind of planning and holding things together. And she had a pivot to plan a little bit more aggressively because obviously if you're going up against an empire, it's going to, I think diplomacy's out the window. So you kind of have to, you got to go blow up that Death Star, you know? I think she she had a lot of uh, influence over Leia, especially Leia being a, a, a politician when she was younger. And like I said, I think she just held it down. So to me, that, that makes her very underrated for me. So I hope that she winds up in some of these Disney Plus series. A great little tidbit in support of her as a strong character, in support of her character as a human. What we talked about last episode, I guess, Leia being totally just hosed and distrusted her political career when it came out that she was the daughter of Darth Vader. Mon Mothma was one of the few that actually stood by her mm-hmm. in the face of that news. Speaks to her character. It's someone I want to learn more about and like the little bit more reading I did and and knowing that she's in Clone Wars and Rebels. I mean, she definitely shows her leadership skills in in there and just overall planning a rebellion and and declaring independence, declaring a resistance to the Empire. No matter how small the rebellion was at first, someone had to start it. She's pretty awesome. I've always been a fan. I'm pretty sure I had a Mon Mothma figurine figure Mm -hmm. back in the day in my collection. My turn now, I suppose, to wrap it up. Who you got? But before I do that, let's go to the patrons. Nick put out a message to the patrons asking them for their favorite, most underrated Star Wars character. And we got a few from Ian Thompson. We got 3PO for him, he says. He says he gets shit on so much, rightfully so at times. (laughs) But he's a super solid character who spans the entire saga. Again, the original idea was for this whole story to be told through the perspective of these two droids. So spot on. What is it? Uh, the Wills. Um, As told by the Guardians of the Wills. Uh, it was the original title for the film. The Adventures of Luke Starkiller as taken from the Journal of the Wills. I don't even believe George Lucas. Web of lies. He didn't have all this written. The Journal of the Wills was taken from R2's memory, right? Because R2's memory was never erased and he knew everything. Through the prequels that, that hadn't been made yet up to the original trilogy, R2 knew everything. Yeah, he was the only one that was never wiped. He's got the iCloud backup. <laughs> Chris Davis says Kit Fisto was one of his favorites. Jedi from the prequels. Green skin, kind of like if, if the Twi'lek head things were like multiple dreads, that's the kind of look. It's the dude who smiles before he force pushes one of the battle droids in the Battle of Geonosis. Oh, his homeworld is Glee and Selm. Oh, weird. Beckett says that in Solo. Never realized that. Chris says one of his favorite things about him is that he smiles a lot. It's a pretty cool moment. He force pushes that droid and then just like grins like, yeah, "Ah, got your little ass. From the Star Wars databank, it says he's also much more laid back and capable of enjoying a hearty chuckle than some of his humorless colleagues. He knows how to party is what it's getting at. Joe Modic says Bosk and IG-88. He loves all the bounty hunters from Empire. Dengar was okay, but Boba Fett, who he still loves, got all the fame. He was happy when Bosk got a little love in Clone Wars and IG-88. It's one of my favorite bosses in Shadows of the Empire on N64. But as little screen time as they both got, I thought they were so fucking cool. That's Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, bud. And Ian and Chris, thank you. Thanks for chiming in. I'm going to go ahead and do mine, which is, I don't know, is it obvious? Did I pick a really obvious one? 
Nick and I picked the same one at first. Mine was way more obscure than I thought I was going to be able to go. And then it just, I just did. So <laughs> doesn't mean that you picked an obvious one. I was like, Nick, I was like, uh, Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to say who it is? And then I'll... yeah, Nick did me a solid and let me go with Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> well, I mean, we played the audio of what Filoni said about the duel of the fates mm-hmm. and that whole saber battle. And like, what more can you say about Qui-Gon Jinn, a reason why he's underrated, than that whole speech? It's yeah. the truth right there. It's hard to say someone who, who, you know, carries a whole film, the whole first film, you know, is one of the main actors there would be underrated. But yeah, I mean, his impact, I guess, would be underrated. Right. His significance as like the undercurrent and the through line through all of this is greatly understated because you don't really see any of it on screen. So much of it is in comics and novels and everything else. And also just in interpretation, it's like theology level, you know, hearing Filoni talk about that kind of stuff feels like we're in like Jedi Bible study and it's like, oh, wow, I never realized that. Yeah. But it's cool. I I love that this modern myth is at that level. So Qui-Gon Jinn was born 80 BBY on Coruscant. Died 32 BBY on Naboo, killed by Maul, stabbed right through the gut. Gnarly. The bread basket, as they would say in WWF, <laughs> WWE. Sorry, don't sue me. 52 years old. I think he looked good for 52. A little salt and pepper. Minus the wig. Right. He, in his younger years, was a Padawan of Dooku, which we found out in episode two. They really cruised by that little mention there. I didn't catch that until like several viewings after, but I think that's dope. He was super promising, apparently, as a youngling and a Padawan and carried a big sense of responsibility. Early on, he was like, uh, he was afraid he wouldn't live up to the expectations of being a Jedi and had all this kind of like personal stuff going on. But Dooku, despite eventually becoming a piece of shit, really pushed him through that. And I wonder, I haven't read enough, but I wonder how Dooku's kind of riding of the fence between the light and dark influenced Qui-Gon to kind of open up to more than just the kind of narrow-minded light side only Jedi view. But nonetheless, he was very connected to the living force and really, really apparently studied a lot of stuff that wasn't just part of his Jedi training, a bunch of kind of ancient writings. And that it's, it's not clear exactly whether that opened him up to feeling things like Anakin being the chosen one or kind of feeling the future, or if he just kind of had that innately. Nonetheless, he was the only one, the only Jedi sensitive enough to sense what was coming. So Anakin's birth, understanding that that was the will of the Force, and he's, quote, right in the thing, he doesn't say, yeah, the Force knocked up this chick, Shmi, in the desert, but he says it was the will of the Force, I have no doubt. Jedi Bible study. Yeah, real Sorry. talk. <laughs> and he understood the prophecy of the Chosen One, which actually predates the Jedi Order itself, which makes a lot of sense, if you think about it, because the prophecy is like, okay, these Jedi are going to kind of wrangle the force and gather all this power, and then it's going to have to come back down at some point and rebalance. He understood this better than anyone on the council because he studied the prophecies extensively. Yoda, on the other hand, was not about it. He actually discouraged the study of the prophecies because he believed it was a path to the dark side. His interpretation was that trying to predict the future, controlling it, all that kind of stuff was against the will of the force, which Qui-Gon disagreed with again, because in his mind, if the Force reveals this to somebody, how could acting on that revelation be against the will of the Force? He took it more like, I'm being revealed this, so it must be the will of the Force that I then do something with this knowledge, which is why he was so adamant about Anakin being trained 
and really pushing back when they're like, nope, we're not going to train him. He's too old. He also was super critical of the Republic in general. It's hypocrisy where how the Jedi fit into the whole equation. There was a bunch of, as we know now, especially from Clone Wars and everything else, a bunch of just sketchy stuff, like just straight normal politics shit going on with the Republic, like tolerating slave transport, concentrating on like the inner rim and the outer rim was just like, sorry, good luck out there. You know, he actively worked against all that stuff. He freed a bunch of slaves. He was always lobbying for more attention to the outer rim worlds. All of this is not even a part of the council, which Obi-Wan gave him shit for in the movie. There's a little bit of dialogue where he says, Anakin will become a Jedi, I promise you. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, not again, dude. Trying to get him not to defy the council, right? And he's like, I'll, I will do what I must to make this happen. And Obi-Wan says, if you just follow the code, you'd be on the council. But he doesn't care. His like, rank and all that, it doesn't matter to him because ultimately he'll subvert the council if he needs to because he knows that they're not the end-all be-all. He's duty-bound to the force itself and the will of the force which is what puts him so far ahead of them in a lot of ways, like Filoni talked about in that monologue. And I'll just quote a little bit of Filoni rather than doing this whole thing again. He says, talking about the duel of the fates, the fight against Maul at the end, which is ultimately about Anakin's future. He says, Qui-Gon's fighting because he knows he's the father that Anakin needs. Because Qui-Gon hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to actually care and love, and that's not a bad thing. The rest of the Jedi are so detached and they become so political that they've really lost their way. And Yoda starts to see that in the second film, but Qui-Gon is ahead of them all, and that's why he's not part of the council. So it's not that he's not worthy. It's not even a priority for him. He's like an indie artist that doesn't need a major label. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he's yeah. Malcolm Moore. He's going to do it on his own. You know? I do wonder, this is kind of getting my, my brain going here. Let's just say, you know, what if scenario, Qui-Gon got to teach Anakin? Because Qui-Gon... Light side force user, for sure, seemed like he had a little bit more of the attitude to go against the council, which is why he wasn't on the council. But maybe he would have been a better teacher for Anakin, being that he wasn't just like, here's the rules, don't break them, you little right. jerk. You know, like maybe yeah. he would have been like, Anakin, what you're feeling right now is normal. Here's how to control it. Right. And maybe he would have, you know, been a little bit more a better of a teacher. I mean, who's to say what Palpatine's manipulation, you know, he might have dialed it up to 11, you know, to, to, to get Anakin to be Vader still. But maybe Qui-Gon would have prepared Anakin a little bit more to be in touch with his feelings. I mean, that's part of what Filoni kind of wraps it up with in his little monologue, pointing out the fact that he is the father that Anakin needs because he's got this giant void that makes him vulnerable to the dark side. And he's left vulnerable after Qui-Gon is killed because Anakin gets Obi-Wan as a master who is ultimately, you know, becomes like a brother to him, but he's not a father, which is what he needed. I mean, he knows all this. He also knows that Anakin's future is not all just rainbows and unicorns. He sees the dark, but he knows it's all part of the will of the force. There's this great little bit from Screen Rant. Andrew Dice wrote this. I think Ryan has quoted him before. He says, for the council, in reference to Anakin being the chosen one, for the council, it means the force has produced a champion to vanquish the darkness, leaving only the light. While Qui-Gon's encounter with the force has shown balance to be the acceptance of darkness so the light can overcome it. Council senses potential dark in Anakin and views it as a threat, while Qui-Gon would have sensed the same but understood Anakin's potential for darkness was the entire point of the Force's lesson, and by extension, the prophecy. He says, he is the chosen one, you must see it. And Yoda says, 
clouded this boy's future is. Yoda's afraid of it. Qui-Gon embraces it and knows that he has to trust in the Force. Saying that his future is cloudy, maybe Yoda sees that darkness and, you know, is afraid of that. Right. Where maybe Yoda was looking for, when he looked into the future, wanted to just see rainbows and unicorns, like you said, <laughs> right. you know? Like, yeah. But he saw it was cloudy, so he was like, I, I don't know if this is the chosen one. Yeah. But, it's interesting yeah. if you think about Yoda's interaction with Luke before he's leaving Dagobah, when he, the line that I love so much, difficult to see, always in motion, the future is. His reaction there is not just like, no, it's clouded. He can't be. Now he knows that it's not rainbows and unicorns. He's saying, yeah. he's saying at that point, yeah, your friends might die, but you still have to stay the course. Yeah, he's fully learned by that point. Whereas here, you know, in The Phantom Menace, he, he's saying, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Yeah. He doesn't realize the power of the cloudiness of the future, that the future being cloudy is why you must stay your own course and find your destiny and not let others' destinies dictate your own. And here's some of the coolest shit I've ever read in regards to prequels anything, prequels character here. We now know that Qui-Gon was the first Jedi to learn how to become a Force ghost. And he passed that knowledge on to Yoda when Yoda came to Dagobah and then spoke to Qui-Gon through the Force. He hadn't manifested himself physically yet, but he was speaking to him. And Yoda was like, what? You're dead. No, no, no. This is like a hallucination. He wasn't buying it because this was all brand new. Eventually, I think it's in the book, Master and Apprentice. I could be wrong. But we learn how... Qui-Gon taught Yoda to become one with the Force and to kind of unlock this part of Force connection. And after all of this, Yoda actually acknowledges, admits that Qui-Gon has become his master. Mm. Yoda, to all of us, like forever, yeah, yeah. is the top. The master. But Qui-Gon is actually the dude, at least in that sense. Right. I mean, maybe that speaks to Yoda's humility to say, no, now you're my master, yeah. you know, even if he isn't more powerful than Yoda and so on. Well, just maybe the fact that Yoda is still mortal and Qui-Gon is above that yeah. supersedes. His power with the Force does not affect his place in the story, his importance in the story, though. And think about this, too. If Qui-Gon wasn't slightly rogue, maybe Qui-Gon wouldn't have known that there was the living Force out there right. and to seek it after his death. You know, so that's something where Yoda was like on the rails. Maybe he didn't have that knowledge. So if Yoda passed on without that knowledge, he'd be gone forever. But Qui-Gon kind of being a little left of center Jedi had that knowledge and knew after his death, there was more work to be done. There's some good stuff in another book. I couldn't figure out which one it was, but it talks about earlier in Qui-Gon's life, learning of the fact that this was possible. He learned from five force priestesses who had retained their own consciousness after death. This is feeling very mortis here. He went to the, a place that was said to be the birthplace of the midichlorians and learned about the cosmic force and the living force and how they work together. And then also learned from a shaman of the wills about all of this and how to make it possible. And ultimately that achieving eternal consciousness required absolute selflessness, which just in feel, I feel like informs the whole thing about him saying, no, I'll take this kid as my Padawan, whatever, Obi-Wan's good. I'm kicking him out of the nest. I'll do what needs to be done. There apparently was a part in Revenge of the Sith that was in the script but didn't make it and then kind of got worked in, reworked into the Clone Wars stuff that I'm talking about. In the script, the stuff that didn't make it into episode three, Yoda says, failed to stop the Sith Lord I have. Still much to learn there is. Qui-Gon in voiceover says, patience, you will have time. I did not. When I became one with the Force... I made a great discovery. With my training, you'll be able to merge with the Force at will. Your physical self will fade away, 
but you will still retain your consciousness. You will become more powerful than any Sith. Yoda says, eternal consciousness. Qui-Gon says, the ability to defy oblivion can be achieved, but only for oneself. It was accomplished by a shaman of the wills. Whoa. It is a state required through compassion, not greed. That says a lot about the, the whole idea that Jedi can become force ghosts, but dark side users can't. That's yeah. it right there. It really just explains why. I love those words, defy oblivion. That's sick as hell. <laughs> I'll wrap all this up with a great quote. We'll call it a quote from a book called Secrets of the Jedi. That's written essentially from Luke's perspective. It's almost like it's his journal about the history of the Jedi. This was released in 2019, so it includes all the sequel stuff and everything. He's talking about Qui-Gon here, and he says, While he may not be a Skywalker by blood, Qui-Gon Jinn shares a deep connection to my family's history through the Jedi Order. This revered Jedi Master trained Obi-Wan Kenobi, who in turn trained my father and later became my mentor. Qui-Gon was well known for listening to the Force more than the Jedi Code, a trait that often put him at odds with the High Jedi Council. Master Jinn was killed by Sith Lord Darth Maul prior to the Clone Wars, but he was the first of only a few Jedi who discovered a way for his spirit to transcend its physical form. So Luke, I don't know if it's through Obi-Wan or what, knew of Qui-Gon, and if there isn't something already, I feel like there should be, where Luke speaks to him at some point. I would love to see that. I know Qui-Gon reveals himself to Obi-Wan between episode three and four. There's some stuff written there, and I hope we see it in the series. I mean, he's just... He's like the through line. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, should we wrap it up? Anything else to say about our boy Neeson's? <laughs> Qui-Gon's great. Liam Neeson's. Classic Neeson's. Classic Neeson's. <laughs> up until recently, the Qui-Gon Star Wars Black Series six-inch figure was like most recently the highest priced Black Series there was. Little info for you there. All right, let's wrap it up. We're keeping it a little bit short today because there's a lot of stuff going on. But... We hope you enjoyed this episode nonetheless. Some might be shorter, but we're never going to not deliver. You're in this life for good. <laughs> Just when I thought that was out, they pull me back in. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker1. My personals are all at Adam the Skull. My webs are at William Ryan Key. And my Twitter and Instagram both are at Nick Bayside, and if you don't follow me, you are dead to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> dead. <laughs> but the three loyal patrons that submitted their favorites today are not dead to Nick. We can say that for certain. Very much so alive. Somehow Palpatine lives. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, bro. So thank you guys for contributing. Thanks to everyone for listening. And until next time, may the Force be with you.
Now, that's just Liam Neeson's acting right there, Look, man. Straight up, I kid you not, Academy Award caliber mm-hmm. classic Neeson. Yes. Oh, seriously, I mean, like, Neeson's already need to have a statue. Liam Neeson's ain't got no, he ain't got a statue. He ain't got a statue. He ain't got a statue. Nope. 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 Mm-hmm. The Oscar goes to Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's is my shiznit. Whoo!